Sound Design. Here's what I'd like to say. This is adult education. Okay, you're allowed to cheat. Knowing some things, some values, or some, some equations, knowing them by heart will make you faster in an industry where there's one constant, which is that there's always too little time. But if you do not know the answers by heart, you better know where to find them. Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the show to help you build your career as a sound engineer in the home of the world's first online career coaching program optimized for audio professionals. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by sound consultant and educator Merlin Van Veen. Merlin, welcome to Sound Design Live. Hi, Nathan. It's a pleasure to finally meet you in 3D space. You sound so calm. I had a wonderful day, and I'm looking out of the window. We're here in Canada in Banff, and look at that view. I mean, how does not make it? calm it's amazing yesterday it rained and now we get to finally see the mountains so i will try to describe to describe to the people at home we're seeing this mountain ridge the sun is shining a lot of pine trees and uh it's really bob ross maybe we'll put another happy little cloud in here maybe this other cloud maybe he lives right over here So Marilyn, I definitely want to talk to you about what's going on with your workshops and all things sound system tuning optimization design But first of all, what is a Dutch artist that you would like to see get more international recognition? Well, we had this female singer, and her name was Anouk. And at one time, she had a song which was called Girl. They send her to the um, Eurovision contest, song contest. And I'm not convinced whether that was necessarily a good thing. For me, Eurovision Song Contest always feels a little bit like Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Sure. <laughs> but I will deny telling this. Okay. You never said anything. You weren't never here. said anything. And changing gears for a second, what is maybe the most manly song I can play at a sound check to make sure everybody knows that I'm a big deal? I, I like to play ACDC's Back in Black. It's it's pretty it's pretty manly. <laughs> it's pretty manly. It has a lot of power cards, power chords, which mm-hmm. is manly. So Merlin, this isn't the first time I've interviewed you. I did a we did a interview over text a couple of years ago. So if people want to find out about how you got your first job in audio, which is a question I normally ask people, they can go and check out that interview at sounddesignlive.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page and search for Merlin, but I do want to ask you another question about your career. Looking back over what you've done so far, what do you think is one of the best decisions you've made to get more of the work that you love? Honestly, resigning my job as a front of house engineer. I've been mixing 150 shows a year for 10 years straight in uh, throughout Europe, where I learned pretty much everything that I know today as the um, demand for my educational activities started to grow, it, w- it was becoming really challenging to combine those two jobs, being an educator and doing front of house mixing. I had a contract of indefinite duration, was reasonably well paid. We just gave birth to our daughter, have a house and mortgage. Taking that decision took me three years of making the proverbial plunge 
What made you finally decide to make that decision after thinking about it for three years? Faith. At the time, I had three months of foresight. And after that, unknown. But um, that is a, a, a decision that you do. Well, in my case, I, I didn't take it alone. Um, uh, I took it with my partner, with my wife. That Because, you know, it affects everyone. And abandoning that um, safety net, that security of a continuous income stream for something of which you have no guarantee that it will do what you hope it will do, that is a decision not taken lightly. I have fond memories of my previous line of work. It has been a good choice for me. It's more about making the choice than the career change. Well, I wouldn't call it a career change, but the, the shift of being a front-of-house engineer and my own system tech to, uh, at this point in my career, doing a predominantly teaching. Sure. So you had no idea what would happen at that point, but since then, it seems like things have worked out pretty well for you. You've been teaching seminars and workshops all over the world, right? Yep. The last, in the last six months, I know you've been to uh, Brazil, India. Mexico. Mexico. Several places throughout Europe. Uh-huh. And now we're here in Canada. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me because maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm modest. Beyond my wildest dream. Uh, like I said, I had, I had three months of prospect when I resigned my job. And because I resigned, I was not entitled to social security. I wasn't fired. Oh. I wasn't fired. If you get fired, there's maybe a golden handshake or a severage package or uh, social security in the Netherlands. Not if you resign yourself. If you resign yourself, it's like there's no safety net. Taking risks. Which is what an, what an independent contract, self-employed, it, it does. You become your own boss. So Merlin, you have encountered a lot of students now, worked with a lot of students from all different ages, backgrounds, experience levels. I'm wondering if there's one topic or idea or skill that you wish everyone knew a little bit better before coming to your workshops so that they you know, things could kind of kick off quicker maybe or everyone could be up to speed. It's very tricky um, because like I say, at the beginning of part one, the car starts at zero miles an hour and at the end of the fourth day, we will have accelerated to 120 miles an hour. Wow. And like you've seen yourself, I really begin at square one, okay? I do not start somewhere in the middle. I make sure that we're all on the same page. So we start to talk about sine waves and about the time it takes for them to finish a single revolution and how that translates to wavelength. Once we've discovered our sound speed, we talk extensively about decibels and we do not turn on the analyzer until the end of day one. Up until then, it's just making sure that all noses are pointing in the same direction. And the thing is, I make this distinction between art and science. And as much as I like to be involved in the art part, making beautiful things, being the last band member and mixing music, uh, music that is dear to me, it is within my interest to understand the delivery platform because the front of house position is self-calibrating. If you don't like what you hear, <laughs> your brain will instruct your hands to start pushing buttons until you like what you hear mm -hmm. or feel that is appropriate for that particular application. But there's no guarantee that what you perceive 
at that square foot behind your mixing console that all other audience members are perceiving the same art and the same tonal quality. And this is where what we like to call comes the, comes the waveform delivery service into play. That's what I'm trying to teach. And that is not about art because art is a matter of taste. And now it becomes science. And now we're talking about milliseconds and hertzes and decibels and face. The latter being an abstract to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And math, unfortunately, is involved. Yep. And I try to keep the math at a minimum because to a lot of people, math is not their second language, not even their third language, it's possibly <laughs> their tenth language or somewhere at the bottom of the food chain. And believe you me, if there was a way that I could come up with that did not involve math, then for sure I would have already done it. Um, But the problem that I see is that when it comes to the math, that uh, for a lot of people, it has been a very long time since they did some math. Maybe high school, for some maybe even elementary school. And that is sometimes taking a little bit more time than than I would like to. But we have to be respectful about it. We have to allow the people time to 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 get adjusted to the fact that it's a that as much as I like to do art and everybody else probably with me, that uh, that ultimately it's a physics class. Yeah. And I appreciate your position. It sounds like it's tough because you realize that you're working with artists and you're trying to force them to do science and math but you also know that you need to get through this stuff for them to have a new understanding, a new perception of delivering waveforms to ears. Yeah, it's if we make the comparison with reading or writing a book, you need to master the alphabet first, first before you can uh, either write a book or read a book. The alphabet, in our case, being milliseconds, hertzes, and decibels. And if you want to get a grasp on that, if you want to master that, instead of having it taken you by surprise and be at the mercy of favorable circumstances, okay, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not lucky, uh, then it's within your interest to get some some control over this. Because as I like to say, um, we have this Roman guy that said at the time said, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Preparation evidently being the key word. Is that Seneca? Seneca, yeah. So in other words... Um, you know, if you know what to expect, if you have valid expectations, you can come prepared and increase the chances for successful production. The downside is that it's hard. The upside is that since it's hard and most people are not willing to go through the hard work to try to understand this stuff, that if you are willing to put in the time and try to understand this stuff, which is hard for, especially for artists, I think, who normally don't work with maybe science and math, then that could really set you apart. All of a sudden, you're a person that has reached a new level of understanding compared to your peers. I'm a typical practicant. I did not attend university. I did not finish my undergraduate. I dropped out because I'm a typical student that without application and proper motivation, I need, you know, I cannot force myself to digest theory. But once the importance of the application and the advantages start to become clear to me, now I have the drive into forcing myself and wanting it to understand because I reap the benefits of it. Even means if even if it means that I need to read that chapter ten times over. 
because now I have the proper motivation. And that's one of the nice things about teaching adults, because if you have to go to school, then a lot of the things that you learn in school at that time probably will make little or no sense to you, or you, are, you, you don't understand the application of it. But once you progress your professional career, and you run into the limitations of your own skill set, or you feel that you do not have uh, control over the consistencies of uh, the consistency of your show from one venue to the next venue, then for some people that is could become frustrating, and then and, and then you have two options: you 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 either assign somebody to take care of, take take care of it for you, or you start investigating uh, yourself, because acknowledging that there's room for improvement is half the battle and realizing becoming aware of your own limitations is is winning half the battle and now it becomes an exercise and okay how do i break through my own barriers and i've been able to that to do that for myself by repetition 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 i've been taught complex numbers in school people tried to teach me that in physics class second year and i thought this is this is this makes no sense mm -hmm. my entire life math teachers tell me that i cannot take the square root of a negative number now we're in the undergraduate second year sound reinforcement we get physics and somebody says to you there's this thing it's called j and it's the square root of minus one what exactly <laughs> okay alternative facts so at the time that was I had no motivation, I couldn't digest it, and I had no applications. Now we fast forward, I'm doing these calculators, and I get to the point that I want to do subwoofer ray designer. I want to do something with subwoofers, I want to see an SPL plot, and I want this to work. Because I want to visualize these abstracts that I'm struggling with. Yeah. Like everyone else, I'm visually inclined. Show me one good metaphor that will drive the point home, and we're good. I had this one particular book, which is Sound System Design by um, Eugene Patronus, Don Davis, Pat Brown, and others. And there's a paragraph somewhere in the beginning about phasers, phase vectors. And it relies on complex numbers. And I knew that this was the key to solving my subwoofer ray designer challenge. And I must have read that paragraph at least two dozen times. Oh, wow. Going back to the beginning. Going back to the beginning. Now we're talking to somebody about something that to uh, to somebody that attended university or MIT or uh, or is more advanced in physics. To that person, it is as elementary as a fraction. <laughs> to me, at the time, it, okay, it, it did not connect. But you wanted it more. But I wanted it because I knew it was the missing link in my urge to make that subwoofer array designer using Excel, where everybody says, are you crazy? Why would you use an accountant's program to do this, <laughs> to do this kind of thing? Why don't you learn a proper programming language like MATLAB or Python? Well, now it's probably been downloaded thousands of times. Oh, um, as far as I can tell, yes. So endless repetition going back to that same chapter, same chapter, same chapter. And at one point, there's this, this eureka moment. And then you see it. And then you wonder that there was ever a time where you didn't see it. It's like you can't unsee it. And you really wonder, really? Was there, was there a point in my life that I did not understand this? Mm -hmm. And that took time. It's a learning curve. But once you are over that threshold, well, then 
A couple of months later, we had subwoofer array designer and suddenly all sorts of calculators, all these ideas that I could turn into a calculator. So I know that it's difficult. I know that it's hard, but with proper motivation, you might get to reap the benefits of it because I truly hope that attending this seminar will do for you what it did for me. mentioned calculators a few times now so people should know that if they want to get those they can go to merlinvenveen.nl to the calculator section they have to register for an account but then they can download all these and reap the benefits of your hard work yeah for free (laughs) okay so you said that you truly hope that people are, are getting a lot out of these workshops that you're putting on and i wanted to ask you about that i'm curious if you have seen what it's been like for people down the road. Um, So you've seen a lot of people come through your workshops. They struggle, they work really hard, they try to learn some stuff and they listen to you. And then you probably talk to them later on. They go back out into the world, they're doing work, they're living their lives. This is kind of an abstract question, but I'm wondering if maybe there's a benefit or some sort of transformation you can see where later on people are saying to you something like, all of a sudden I can, or now it's a lot easier for me to, I don't know, is that too weird? Well, surely you will agree with me that if you're, if you're capable of providing consistent results, that that will instill confidence in your clients. I agree. Because your client is an artist. I mean, of all the people, he's probably the least interested in the scientific problems that you're facing in your attempt to cater everyone with the same experience. Everyone that is paying the same admission price for a ticket and therefore is entitled to a similar experience. Um, I surmise that by the end of the day, your client wants to know if Nathan is operating the console, there's nothing that I need to worry about. Whether we are in a, in a venue that sounds like the inside of a mattress or in a concert hall, anywhere with uh, three to four seconds of reverberation. And I understand that for the person that is in charge of making that mix and make it work, that that is like, uh, you know, a world of different. But if you can reassure your client, hey, I got it under control, okay? These these extreme different circumstances. I think if you achieve that consistent results, that people know, okay, if we hire that guy, then there's nothing that we have to worry about. He will make it work. I truly think that that will get you the next job and the one after that. And the one after that, I had one guy reaching out to me over Facebook and he said, this was the best teaching experience ever, which is a great, great compliment. Mm -hmm. But to me, it sounded like he was also referring to high school or, (laughs) or elementary school, which is at the same time is also sad because it also says something about, apparently, at least that is how I took it. It also says something, apparently, about the local situation in this country. Mm. So it's, on one side, it's a great compliment. On the other side, you know, kind of saddens me. And sometimes guys, or girls for that matter, write me back that they put some of it directly into, um, into practice a couple of days later. And they say, I'm already starting to reap the benefits of this. And thank you very much. Nice. And in general, and that is, that is something that I'm, that I'm still happy with, is that uh, people feel more confident about reading, reading face traces. Because most people, they get the magnitude response, you know, which is amplitude over frequency. It's about how something sounds. 
but the window above that or below that, depending on which analyzer you use, that face that for many people remains in abstract because it does not have a clear beginning and clear ending. It's again one of those things. Once you've seen it, once you've get it, you can't imagine that there was a point in your career that you didn't get it. Yep. So that is something. If if people come out of this seminar being able to read face, well, that is that is half the battle. That's great. It sounds to me like some of the most important benefits people are getting are number one, they're having a great experience with you. So that's just like a good fuzzy feeling inside. And then number two, um, you're exposing them to things they didn't even know existed. So it's kind of that experience of, I didn't know, I didn't know that I didn't know, that kind of stuff. And then more practically, um, people are finding that they can immediately apply the benefits of being able to understand phase readings and get more consistency in their work. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think so too. Um, Merlin, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making who are new to sound system tuning? We live in an era where software analyzers are now available for free. But it's an incredibly sophisticated uh, sophisticated uh, measurement platform, even if it's a software analyzer. And it allows you to see all sorts of things that you weren't able to see before. And that means that having all this information at your availability about magnitude responses and impulse responses and phase responses really set the table for micromanagement. Because now you have this, um, let's say, this X-ray machine, which makes an X-ray photo of your sound system. And then it's very tempting to, um, to start addressing every minor deviation, every irregularity that you see, for example, in, in the magnitude response. And I used to do this in the beginning. I was capable of using as much as eight parametric EQs to flatten out a magnitude response. Nice. Because you have all this resolution and it sets the table for micromanagement. And now if I use three filters for a well-behaved sound system, it's a lot. I always have to think of, of George Lucas, who is, of course, a creative person, but more so uh, a producer. And, and he founded ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, which is a technology company, effects industry. And in one of his books, he says, every new technological development, by definition, in the beginning, is being used too often, and in the wrong way. And it takes some times, apparently, before people come to their senses and start to use those new technological developments, those tools, for what they are intended. For good instead of evil? Well, I wouldn't say <laughs> evil, but I would say, I would say uh, in a sensible way. Mm -hmm. and, and I can relate to that because, like I said in the beginning, oh boy, there's so much to see. And we're gonna we're gonna tweak every little bit, and it's over equalization. It's in my case, it's you're doing too much. We need to get some bird's eye perspective, and say, okay, those are the biggest offenders. These these are the things that we need to address, and we need to to we need to assess in an informed way what we can choose to ignore and just purposely oversee and say, okay, I'm aware of that, but it's it's not endangering uh, whatever it is that we're trying to do here mm -hmm. and only focus on the biggest offenders. And the challenge becomes how to distinguish the biggest offenders, the things that need to be addressed from the things that we can say, okay, 
registered it, but that's not going to cause any issues. Remember the paperclip from Microsoft Office? Yeah. Application I thought about maybe like a little paperclip guy yeah. that comes with uh, maybe your audio analyzer and it says, hold on there. <laughs> yeah, hold on there. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> Okay, so Merlin, um, one of my favorite parts of your workshop so far has been the crime scene investigation. And I think other people like that as well. And it is one of your first opportunities and a really nice opportunity to connect the things we've been learning in in theory with our eyes and our ears and and wrap our brains around it a little bit better. So I was wondering if you could describe that to people. And then if possible, I mean, I know it's a lot of, it could be a lot of details, but maybe you could give us some of the steps so that we could do it at home. First time I witnessed crime scene investigation was with Bob in Berlin in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. Doing the crime scene investigation where we use tape to mark certain coverage shapes on the floor is not novel. Uh, that being said, it's a, it's a hugely useful exercise because it allows us to establish a couple of things, among others, um, the inverse square law which claims that a doubling in distance results in a six to be dropped in level. Another nice thing about it is that we can gauge coverage angle. We make a measurement on axis. We maintain our distance by leaving the delay locator alone because that's our virtual string. And while keeping the string taut, we move off axis until we observe six decibels of angular attenuation. And, um, and typically that is observed in the custody of the horn for a horn-loaded loudspeaker. And if it's a, a proper constant directivity horn, it will do so for all frequencies in its custody. And if things check out, then whatever coverage angle we end up finding by means of protractor is in good agreement with the nominal coverage angle specified um, in the specification sheet of that particular loudspeaker, Mm -hmm. which is good for confidence. And this is something that you can do within the confinement of your living room, if it has to be. The things that that you and I are doing for the past four days, we're doing that in a room, as you can attest to, that is anything but anechoic. If we use use the clicker, the the children's story, we can easily hear two to three seconds of reverberation. Mm -hmm. And yet we're getting incredibly good uh, good data, accurate enough to um, underscore these um, things as um, inverse square law and coverage angle. And it allows us to look at some other ways of defining coverage, which are typically much more meaningful than the classic radial definition that you'll find in the specification sheet, like, for example, forward aspect ratio, and since third edition, lateral aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. And um, on regular occasion, I... Um, particularly if it's a a really nice one, I post one of those crime scene photos on the Facebook and it literally looks like like a speaker has died over there with with the shapes. Chalk outline. Yeah, the chalk outline. So yeah, so that's an incredible useful exercise. And I encourage everyone to do it at least once because the analyzer does not lie. It shows you exactly what's going on for that cubic millimeter uh, wherever that microphone membrane is. The challenge becomes, can we put the data into context and ask the proper questions to interpretate that data sitting on your screen. And it's one thing to look at a design in a book and say, okay, I accept that. I believe that this all makes sense. It's another thing to 
experience it for yourself and actually stand there and say like, okay, ears, this is what this design is. And like, okay, now it's, it's all kind of connecting. Yeah. We call that our, our, our uh, well, again, Bob, most people know that you know, I consider Bob my mentor or Magoo for that matter. They're equally dear to me. I refer to them, I refer to them as face, phase and magnitude. I always feel that Bob is sitting on one shoulder and Magoo is sitting on the other shoulder. <laughs> and every time, every time I need to make a decision, I got Bob saying in one ear, go about it this way. And Magoo sitting on my other shoulder shouting in the other, go about it this way. So, yeah, we called it eye-to-ear training. Um, can I hear what I measure? And can I measure what I hear? And if things checks out, if things check out, um, we can confirm with our ears what we measure if we know what to look for. And we can measure what we hear, which again is good for confidence because it keeps you from losing your sanity. Something that I like to say very often. Sure. Because if what we hear does not correlate what we measure and observe with our eyes, we lose confidence in the measurement platform. And then most people will rely on their ears because, hey, that's how we've always been doing that. Mm -hmm. Has always worked. Why would you want to change that? We got to connect the two. But if you can connect two, then you really gain confidence in the things that you're doing. And then you will feel more uh, secure in uh, approaching a new situation and maybe uh, putting your fist on the table and say, no, we, we, we have to talk this over. We have to dis- discuss this a little bit more because mm-hmm. if we go about it this way, then it will be a win-win-win situation. In order to justify, for example, extra expenses because you require a couple of speakers more, mm-hmm. that is tricky because if you get your client to go along with that and you do not deliver, then it will be the last time that you get extra toys. Yep. But if you gain, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you gain confidence in what you're doing because you're you're becoming aware of these certain laws and 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 how things are behaving in the real world then you will feel, will feel more confident about putting your fist on the table and saying, no, we need those two speakers. And it will make a difference. Merlin, uh, just as a side note, I hope you'll appreciate that I have a student named Chris who has gone through his entire inventory, put speakers on the back of all of his, sorry, stickers on the back of all of his speakers where he has written in the lateral aspect ratio and the forward aspect ratio. Yes. <laughs> Here's what I like to say. This is adult education. Okay. You're allowed to cheat. Knowing some things, some values or some, some equations, knowing them by heart will make you faster in an industry where there's one constant, which is that there's always too little time. But I get it. I mean, it's a lot to digest. And I say you can cheat. But if you do not know the answers by heart, you better know where to find them. And the longer it takes you to find those answers, the less time you will have to occupy yourself with the waveform delivery service. And sure. But you're allowed to cheat. You can make cheat sheets. I used to make cheat sheets in the beginning and made notes everywhere and had laminated pieces of paper hanging around uh, so that I could find the answers. Um, but knowing them by heart just makes you quicker. Merlin, one of my biggest aha moments came on the first day of the workshop, and it was in this area of psychoacoustics. So instead of just saying what it was, I thought maybe I would just read some true and false statements here, and you can tell me which ones are true and which ones are false. Okay. Okay, and we'll see if anyone else listening 
um, had the same misunderstanding that I did, or maybe it was just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so uh, a doubling of distance results in a halving of sound pressure level. True, provided you're in the far field, which for a, um, for a direct radiator or loudspeaker with a direct radiator means that typically you have to be at least three driver diameters away, okay. which normally, unless you have a ridiculously large speaker, which normally means that by the time you are three feet or one meter, that you're typically sufficiently far enough that we have this so-called one over R, the inverse square law, that each doubling in distance results in a six dB drop in pressure. If you're too close, then distance and level do not adhere to that progression. Okay. But in live sound, hardly ever are we within one meter or three feet, even with respect to a, to a big speaker. Right. So yes. Okay. A doubling of distance results in a 6 dB reduction in SPL. Yes, which is the same because SPL is sound pressure level. So if you say that a doubling in distance is a 6 dB drop in pressure, having of the pressure, 50% less pressure, then inherently it's also 6 decibels less SPL. Because a 50% reduction is a ratio that's linear. And that ratio expressed on a logarithmic scale becomes a 6 dB drop. With a small, a small disclaimer that line arrays are, of course, is advertised that they drop with these supposed cylindrical waves at a magical rate of 3 decibels magic, per doubling distance. Magic sound? Magic sound. Finally. Free sound. <laughs> so for line arrays, it's slightly different. But for, for point sources, provided you're in the far field... Uh, you can trust that the sound, the direct sound, will drop at a 60 dB per doubling rate. Okay, doing good so far. Um, next one. A doubling of distance sounds twice as quiet. No. What? That is not true. If we look at the equal loudness contours, also known as the um, Fletcher-Munson, they're not the same, but people refer to them as Fletcher Munson. Only a difference of about 80 years, 70 years? (laughs) Yeah. If if memory serves, the equal loudness contours as we know them today um, come from 2003. In between, we had Robson Dotson, Robinson Dotson. Um, But today we have the equal loudness contours. And um, you can Google those and then you will find them on, um, on Wikipedia, for example, or a calculator on my website. And equal loudness contours map the way from SPL, sound pressure, to perceived loudness, where loudness is stated in a unit that we call the phone. And if you, um, if you inspect those progressions, then you will see that an increase of 10 decibels, not 6 decibels, uh, constitutes a 10-phone a difference in perceived loudness, okay. where a 10-phone difference subjectively in your, in your experience is two times louder or two times softer. For reasons beyond this conversation, small disclaimer, this progression applies to frequencies above one kilohertz. So if I double my distance, according to the inverse square law, I lose six decibels of pressure, which is a considerable level, a considerable drop in in perceived loudness, but still not twice as loud or twice as soft in this case. I need to triple my distance with respect to source, 
provided I'm moving on axis, for the sound pressure to drop by 10 decibels, and then I will experience a 50% reduction in sub subjective loudness. Now, I think an important thing to know here is that this doesn't actually affect how we go about our work. It was just surprising for me to understand, I guess, how words work. <laughs> that when you say the word loud or you say the word quiet, you can't use it in the same way. Minus 6 dB is not half as, is not twice as quiet. No. Minus and 10 is. Yeah, minus 10. And, and, what, and what is misleading is the word double. Yeah. Because we all know at one point we have heard that doubling your distance is a 6 dB drop in pressure. So that's 50% less. Mm -hmm. And if we distance ourselves to a loudspeaker, we know that tentatively it becomes softer. So it's perfectly understandable that you're, that you're inclined to think that, okay, if I double my distance, something will become softer. So surely then it will be two times less loud, which it is. The pressure is twice, twice less loud, but it's about your, your subjective perception. And these equal loudness contours show you that it takes level offset a drop in pressure of 10 decibels, which means that you have to triple your distance. That is kind of misleading because we have the word double in our subjective perception and we have double in the distance and they're not one and the same thing. But again, once you're aware of that, it's one of those things, if you see it, you cannot imagine that there ever was a time that you didn't. All right, guys, we're just about to get into what Merlin has in his work bag, all of his cool tools and hardware. But before we do that, I want to tell you about my new sound system tuning chatbot, Zoid. Now, Zoid is affectionately named after the cartoons that Bob McCarthy has in his book, Trap and Zoid. And I built Zoid to help you do a main sub alignment. So it's basically like having an assistant next to you with a checklist, checking things off each step of the way. So it's an educational tool, but it also does some of the math and could be used in the field. So if you want to give it a shot, you can click the link for the Zoid chatbot in the show notes for this podcast, or you can go to m.me slash Zoid chatbot, or you can go to Facebook and just search for Zoid chatbot. Have fun. Merlin, I was going to ask you what's in your work bag. There's a lot of things. Maybe we could just pick a couple of things. There's definitely things that whenever you take them out during a seminar, everyone's like, oh, what's that? Okay, so there's a couple of goodies that I highly recommend. One of them being the Genelec Acoustic Tape. It's a, a tape measure, which on one side has millimeters, inches, metric and imperial. Um, so that's nice. But on the other hand, on the other hand, it has wavelength. Ooh. Yeah, it has wavelength. It has both both whole wavelength and quarter wavelength. And um, I've been told that there's a new batch, which now even has milliseconds. So I strongly encourage uh, your local um, Genelec rep to mail bomb them or, <laughs> okay. or do a denial of service attack okay. <laughs> and say, we want Genelec tapes because... We want them now. Yeah, the last batch that I found was in... Um, in Sweden of all places, and I in immediately ended up buying two, one spare. And they're about $15, uh, give or take. And then I posted it on Facebook, and then the owner of the store 
mailed me that the entire stock that they had, which was 60 pieces or so, was sold out under an hour. So these things, <laughs> these things are really in demand. And, um, and frankly, I don't understand. It's so weird. They don't I, just sell them in a store. I don't anywhere, understand or on Amazon that, or that whatever. somebody else is not picking up on this. Yeah, but funny. the thing is, the acoustic tape is patent pending. Wait. Oh, there is? Because otherwise is. we could do a Merlin Van Veen sure, branded. Sure, you could have them in China made and, and probably have to order hundreds and thousands. You know, one shipping container, which still makes it very expensive at Denver. But it's patent pending. So uh, I think you might end up in trouble. So that's one cool tool. Okay. The other tool that is um, the other tool that I have is one of those children's clicker that was given to me by fellow instructor um, Fidel DeMarco from Italy. And... Um, it's one of those dog clickers. Some people, sometimes people call them, and it gives you a really nice first-hand impression of the acoustics because you do click, click, and if you have a, a, a good feeling for this, you can instantaneously tell, okay, this is definitely more than one second, and that will give you a, a nice impression of, okay, this is what I can expect. Talking about the reverb decay time in the room. Yeah, the reverberation time, the uh, the RD60, the time it takes for the sound to decay by 60 decibels. Other tools. Of course, measurement microphones, ISAMCONs, Emacs um, 7150, piston calibrator, so that I can calibrate my microphones so that they actually report sound pressure level. A protractor, well, basically it's a level. Mm -hmm. You have a pretty cool one because the arms are longer than any of I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, they're at least a foot long, right? Yeah, Maybe they're more. about a foot long and you can introduce, so it has two arms and, and a level in it, but it also reads the angle. Um... So that's a cool thing. Of course, a laser rangefinder, uh, a humidity stat or hygrometer by mm -hmm. Amprobe, because as much as I like Fluke, but Fluke is kind of out of my price range, and Amprobe is a is a good second. But even if you go to um, Home Depot and buy one of those domestic one, it gets you in the ballpark. A five percent tolerance in reading out that humidity is still better than you know having no idea at all. Mm -hmm. What else is there in there? A transformer-based DI. Oh, that's nice, yeah. Yeah. Transformer-based DI that allows me to measure power outputs. And that thing can take up to 200 volts, which means that I can, can do a transfer function of um, intelligence amplifiers and not have to worry about blowing up my audio interface. And that would be basically the last step in the signal chain where you could do, take a transfer function before... Before, before you go to the loudspeaker. Mm -hmm. So it's it's still an electronic transfer function. And it allows you to peek under the hood and, and, and look at tunings, which is interesting uh, on its own. So Merlin, I reached out to people on Facebook and I said, hey, what do you want to ask Merlin when I do this interview? And I got a bunch of kind of random questions. And you and I and everybody else both know that it can be hard to give nuanced answers to audio questions in the space of a few sentences. But we're going to give it a shot because, you know, people took the time to write these in. So I, we're going to go and try to say some things about them. Okay. Sure. Uh, so Nikolai wrote in, is he planning to do a speech or lecture at Frankfurt ISE? At the point, but who knows, I have no plans for ProLight and Sound in Frankfurt. That being said, I've been invited to ProLight and Sound Middle East, which is in Dubai, and there I will do a 20-minute presentation on the importance of the waveform delivery service. All right, nice. Um, some guy named Mauricio Ramirez wrote in... Who's that? <laughs> 
I don't know, strange name. Anyway, he wrote in Ajax or PSV. Well, here, here, here's where I am the black sheep of my family. Mm-hmm. I come from a family of soccer lovers. My, my father used to play soccer, and he's, a, he's a, a soccer lover. My brother is a soccer lover, and I'm the, I'm the black sheep. I have no interest in soccer. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. Men running behind the ball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but here's the thing. Oh, you're going to say something? Yeah. Okay. I, I would, say, would like to say something. I do like, like uh, a soccer cup final. That I like because it has a clear defined beginning and a clear defined end. It takes uh, one or two months, and it's uh, and that I like because it's uh, it's a win or lose situation, and and at the end there will be one victor, and um, and it's also everything that comes with it. It's it's not like um, uh, a league, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but now it's it's something that is either European or, or international that I like. Kind of has an arc to it. It has an arc to it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, no, sorry, I have to disappoint the family. <laughs> okay, so Andre asks, why is the stereo image so much better with point source systems comparing to line array systems? Well, that is hard to say. That is hard to say based on the information provided in this question. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to try to answer it anyway. If we want to perceive stereo image, then... Th- the first criterion that we should meet is that we're exposing ourselves to both discrete channels. It's two-channel reproduction, which means that you should be able to listen, you should at least expose yourself and preferably other audience members to the information coming out of the left speaker and out of the right speaker. And that means that if the left and the right channel, for whatever reason, are not overlapping because... It's pragmatic to deploy the line arrays in a straight fashion without aiming them inwards, then there's no overlap between their balloon shapes, which means that only the people standing in the middle between those loudspeakers are perceiving both sides at the same level, exposing themselves to both discrete channels. The moment I move out of the center, and I'm, again, I'm guessing based on this question, the moment I move out of the center, I'm putting myself in the sole custody of either the left hang or the right hang. At the moment that happens, my image is drawn to whatever side is dominating because there's no overlap between the channels. Because it's a cumbersome process, especially with large format arrays, to rotate them in the horizontal plane. With a point source loudspeaker or a speaker on a stick, this is much easier because it has a pivot point where the, spe- where the speaker pole goes into the speaker cup, and then this is still within our, within our means. Intuitively, I don't think it has to do with the difference between line array or point source. I think it's about the effort of making my channels audible to the majority of the audience, which would require that you're exposing them to both sides. And that requires some sort of overlap between between both channels, mm-hmm. which is easier to do with a point source if it's a single pickup point than with a line array that has maybe two or, or more pickup points. So the last question is from Yol. And um, I don't know, it sounds like he's upset a little bit here. It sounds like he wants you to answer for speaker manufacturers. So I'm not sure if you have anything to say to this, but he has a series of questions here where he says, um, 
Why are so many people using line arrays? When single source system is better, cheaper, and easier to set up, why are manufacturers not focusing more on phase coherent systems? Is there any real benefit to, of line array versus single source systems? So he has a big problem with line arrays. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything to his feelings here. <laughs> Again, I can only, I can only surmise, I can only reason why I think that dead line arrays have a certain appeal to them. Because if we go into the Wayback Machine, the last time that I saw a point source system like Claire Brothers S4 or Turbosound Floodlight and Flashlight, as far as my memory goes back, was Michael Jackson, the Dangerous Tour, which was the opening concert of the Amsterdam Arena, which was the new stadium for the Ajax soccer team in Amsterdam. And this is somewhere in the 90s. Because in 92, if memory serves, Christian Howell introduces VDOS, which was the first commercially available line ray system. Mm. And this is disruptive technology. Okay? It disrupted the industry. Within several years, suddenly everyone was using line array loudspeakers. And there are several things that make it appealing. First of all, it's slim, okay, in comparison to what some people refer to as the bra, which is a hang of point source loudspeakers on one side and hang of point source loudspeakers hanging on the other side, resembling with a little bit of imagination, a bra, mm -hmm. okay? And now we're replacing all that real estate for two slender line arrays. Well, that will make the, the set designer super happy. Mm -hmm. You can also understand that once you hand in that real estate, that you're never gonna get it back. <laughs> because where those bras used to be are now video screens. So even if you wanted to go back, no production will go along with that. That real estate, that's a one-directional, a, a, a one directional, uh, a one way road. Yep. So that's one thing that I can think of. Another thing that I can think of is what we call range ratios. There is a distance between any loudspeaker, whether it's a point source or array, there's a distance between where that loudspeaker is suspended or sitting on a pole and where we, where we define the start of coverage. And there is another distance, which is the distance between that same loudspeaker and the end of coverage. And that ratio, translated through inverse square law, will be an indication whether a certain approach is still a viable option for that particular situation. Mm -hmm. So, so let's, let's imagine for a sec a soccer pitch. Well, a soccer pitch, you know, from the banisters, from on one side to the banisters on the other side, that's about 100 meters. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, at one side, somewhere near the goal line, we have a loudspeaker suspended in the air at, let's say, 10 meters height. Well, that is approximately 10 meters, give or take, from that loudspeaker to the start of coverage. And it's 100 meters from that same loudspeaker to the end of coverage, which is the other goal line. Mm -hmm. Now we have a ratio of 10 to 1. 100 meters divided by 10 meters is a 10 to 1 ratio. Expressed in decibels, that is a 20 dB drop in level. Now, if you listen to that number, then surely you'll have to agree that that, that is beyond the capability of a point source. Yep. Because a point source has six decibels of angular attenuation from on-axis to off-axis to play with. That's the wiggle room. If you're on-axis, it's six decibels louder. If you maintain your distance and go off-axis, it becomes six decibels softer. And that's the wiggle room. And now we're trying to overcome 
a 20 dB drop in level by distance. Well, this is where the line array has an advantage because by setting our splays in such a way that we make it to that other goal line in a group effort with little splay and a lot of splay in the bottom of the array because we only need to cross a distance of 10 meters in a solo effort, that allows us to, co to overcome that huge range ratio. That being said, on several occasions, in an amphitheater setting, for example, where width is your primary concern and not depth, because everybody is sitting in a, in a rainbow fashion in a, near, in a near hemispherical setting where primarily do I have sufficient width to make it all the way from one end to the other end is your primary concern. On several occasions I have used a point source with great satisfaction because it's not about throwing all the way to that other goal line and now we have, you know, now we can resort to a perfectly, a perfectly good point source. Each, each of them have their application. And I agree. Uh, for example, a line array sitting on the deck as front fill. I can think of a lot of engineers that say, okay, I'd rather have a well-behaved point source sitting on the deck if it only needs to cover the first couple of rows. Sure. The, the line array, it's mature technology. This year, it's 2017. This year, the line array commercially available since 1992 has its 25th birthday. It's been around just as long as the point source, maybe even longer, depending on what you consider T0, whether that's Woodstock or Ungrateful Dead or the, that or the Beatles and Shea Stadium. Sure. Interesting that people still seem to get so, I don't know if emotional is the right word, but, you know, they get excited about it. You know, like, why? Or yes, or no. I don't know. It's, it's just another tool. Mm. And, and what I discover for myself, and that's purely my opinion is that what I like about point sources is that afterwards I suffer less from listening fatigue. If I've worked on a line array for a long time and maybe I'm making this up and maybe it's my imagination, but if I've listened to a point source for a long time, I suffer for reasons that are still unknown to me, but maybe somebody has a perfectly good explanation, but I suffer less from listening fatigue. Interesting. For lack of a better description. That's the only way that I can describe it. Hmm. That being said, I'm aware of the limitations of a point source, and I acknowledge that sometimes a line array is, is a more interesting solution. Sure. And, and, and I'm aware of the limitations of a line array and the attractions of, uh, and what makes a point source attractive. It, it's just a tool, it, you know, and you should use the right tool for certain application. But there's a lot of instances where, where a point source would be just as justified as an iron ring. So, yeah. Merlin, where's the best place for people to follow your work online? Well, I have a, I have a website, like you mentioned before, which is uh, merlinvanveen.nl. That is where I typically tend to post more extensive articles in my study hall section. Things that are a little bit too involved and uh, a little bit too long to condense into a single Facebook post. But when I do, I always announce it over my professional Facebook page, which is Merlin Van Veen. So facebook.com uh, slash Merlin Van Veen. And um, it's easier for me when on the road to keep my Facebook page up to date. So yeah, the Facebook page would be the most up-to-date source. Um, but, um, but the website um, is, is pretty well maintained. And, and all seminars are always also announced on the website. 
And then there's the newsletter that you can opt into um, via the website and even via my uh, via my Facebook page. Sound design. All music in today's episode provided by Young Link. You can find more of it at soundcloud.com slash younglink38. That's Y-O-U-N-G-L-I-N-K and then the number 38. And if you haven't subscribed to Sound Design Live yet, you can do that right now in whatever podcast player you're listening to. Click subscribe. properly pronounce your name it makes me wonder if it's funny for you to tell everyone else your name wrong every time oh no because you know merlin is a common name it's the same like like peter okay if you're born in england or in america or in an english-speaking country you're a peter if you're born where i live you're a peter Mm -hmm. if you are in russia you are a piotr you know and it's the same with my name. It's just, depending on, on where you are, it's, it's pronounced slightly different. My name in Italy is Merlino. Had I been born in Italy, then my name would have been Merlino. I like it. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's... it's, it's so don't obsess about it. <laughs> I don't mind. That's going to be the title for this interview. Don't obsess about it. Don't obsess about it. <laughs>